Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nutritionist, Michaela Shifley, the founder of KJ Wellness. On this podcast, we'll talk about all things nutrition and wellness. We'll cut through the bullshit information out there, debunk health myths, interview health experts, and give you actionable steps to help you become the best version of yourself. So go grab yourself a nice hot cup of coffee and strap in to hear the cold hard truths about health. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today I have Natalie with me. Natalie is a holistic dietitian nutritionist who specializes in women's health, in particular women's hormones and gut health, which is incredible. And I'm just so excited for today's episode for us to really deep dive into women's health especially. So, and in particular women's hormones, which is going to be amazing. So welcome, Natalie. Oh, thank you. So good to be here. And yeah, so excited for today's topic. Yeah, me too. So did you want to start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became passionate about women's health? Absolutely. It's a, it's a bit of a long story as it often is. You know, yes. so many of us practitioners have our own personal story that leads mm-hmm. us into women's health and, and specialising in particular areas. And I'm absolutely no exception to that. So my background in a nutshell was that I actually had um, anorexia and eating disorder and bulimia and binge eating for about a decade through really formative mm-hmm. years in terms of I think it probably started when I was about 12 and right through until I was about 20, 21, 22. It's a little bit hard to say the exact ending because anyone who's been through a journey like that knows yeah. that it just gradually healed. It's not um, black and white. Mm-hmm. And obviously starving myself to the lack of a better term for that amount of time during really important, um, you know, growth phases had its its impacts on my health and I lost my period for about a decade. Um, I also had lots of different issues with um, my gut and my thyroid and I also went on a big journey in order to recover my health and what ended up happening was that I really, you know, I guess I, I got... I went through the conventional medical system and Mm. really didn't find it to be all of that helpful. And then it wasn't until I actually met a naturopath um, that some of my healing started to happen, both from a gut perspective and also getting my period back and healing some of my thyroid issues as well. And that, of course, at the time I was studying nutrition and dietetics, which is a very like conventional way to become a nutritionist and a dietitian. Uh, and I became, I guess, a little bit more aware of the fact that it was limiting and that there was a lot that natural medicine and functional medicine had to offer. So it sent me on both a personal and professional journey to pursue you know, uh, nutritional medicine, functional medicine, um, naturopathy, which I've done some further studying in. And um, it was really that journey that helped me to get to where I am personally and also professionally. So it's something that, you know, bigger struggle equals your greatest um, growth and reward. And now a lot of those things that I struggled with, I now help other women overcome as well. That's incredible and so so powerful that you're using your journey to now empower other women to go through their own journey and to come out the other side. Mm, Yeah, it is. It's very, very fulfilling um, Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think it's, um, we were saying just before the podcast hit record that it still continues to surprise us both 
mm. how much information isn't shared about the importance of hormones and cycles and having a regular cycle and, um, you know, what is normal versus what's just common to us or common generally yeah. is just something, a conversation that has to be had. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even what you mentioned about going to the doctors as well, a lot of them, it's very easy to kind of give out that Band-Aid approach of fixing the situation. Mm. Like, oh, we'll just go on the period. I know when I had lost my period, I was going to doctors. Like I was trying to do the right thing and getting it back. But that's the response that I was getting was like, oh, well, you seem healthy. You know, not everyone has to bleed or, oh, it's okay. Like, let's just go back on the pill to fix your hormones type of thing. And, you know, it, even at one point I was, cause I was doing a lot of running at the time and my heart rate was incredibly low. And so the advice from the doctor was just to run on the spot throughout the day <laughs> <laughs> to get my heart rate up. And I was like, oh, this doesn't really make sense to me. But, you know, like, and it's really frustrating because you feel like you're doing the right thing by like going out and trying to seek help mm. and you're just not getting like the answers that you want either. And you're like, I want to be able to trust you because you're the doc, like you're the doctor. Yeah. And that's yeah, really, totally. really hard. And we've been very conditioned to only trust stuff in white coats, you know, and I'm not yes. saying there's not a place for doctors mm. or medical professionals. There absolutely is. But yeah. I always remind people that you know your body best and if your instincts and your gut are saying something's not right here, like they're the number one thing that you should follow and you keep following that until you find a practitioner that listens and uses your own feedback, mm. your own intuition to guide treatment and intervention and that doesn't try and band-aid you through um you know your healing yeah. because it doesn't last and I think we know that like I think mm. intuitively we know that it's just yeah. that we've been conditioned that doctors fix everything which mm-hmm. is a far too much pressure for them and unrealistic and be really disempowering and I think part of healing is also recognizing that we have self-responsibility and we, yeah. we, there's so much that we can influence that, you know, is within us and within our control. It's just about getting your hands on the right information or in the hands of the right practitioner that can facilitate that journey. Mm, yeah, 100%. And I know one of the turning points for me was when I did go and see a doctor and they were like, oh, well, you know, like you're not going to have kids in the next 10 years are you? or five years, whatever it was. And I was like, mm. oh, well, don't think so and they're like oh that's fine will you just come back when you're thinking about having children and I was like Mm -hmm. oh okay and I walked out of that being like well if this is actually going to be a problem when I actually want to get pregnant then it's something that I actually really do want to fix now and I do and I was talking to you about this as well before we hit record of when I did open up to my audience about not having a monthly cycle not having my period a lot of girls did reach out and were like well what is the importance of having a monthly cycle so did you want to talk us through that yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, again, this is a really important topic because there is a bit of a culture around, you know, periods being an inconvenience and mm-hmm. we make jokes about PMS and I'm all for a good PMS joke here and there. I do. <laughs> I can have a lull at those as long as we also recognize that our monthly cycle is really like a report card. It's a reflection of our health mm-hmm. and our hormones when they are in balance and our our hormones that we produce not ones that we take externally in the pill or through IUDs or otherwise our natural hormones influence every single part of our health so they influence um, absolutely our mood um, our motivation our drive who we are attracted to in partners Um, they also influence 
our brain health, our um, gut health, our thyroid health, um, our metabolism. There's so many different avenues in which the balance and the dance between them that happens throughout the month has an effect on on us and literally shapes who we are as a person as well. And the more we learn to work with those and move with those in a cyclical way and recognize that we are not just small men, um, mm. we do actually have a cyclical rhythm to us, the more we are able to feel like we're living in alignment with um, who we are, feel like we get the most out of ourselves. And a really good, simple example of this in terms of why hormones are so important is that you there's there's two key hormones that we often think of when we talk about our menstrual cycle and that is estrogen and progesterone and progesterone is produced when we ovulate if we ovulate and ovulation is not a guarantee however ovulation is really important because it's the only way that we produce progesterone and progesterone is incredibly beneficial in um, balancing out the growth-promoting um, attributes of estrogen. So estrogen builds our lining up, progesterone um, thins it, estrogen uh, it is makes our periods heavier, progesterone mm-hmm. lightens it. Progesterone also prevents us from having those really severe symptoms of PMS leading up to our period because it's calming. So it helps us sleep, it helps us not go into an agitated rage, um, unless you have a certain condition where you are hypersensitive to your own hormones, which would be only a very small subset of the population. But the large majority of time when people are experiencing PMS, it's often that there's an imbalance in estrogen and progesterone. But when those are in balance, it's incredibly beneficial for us and for our mood and and for every aspect of our health that I mentioned earlier. Mm, that's so interesting. So would you say that the PMS symptoms that people experience are normal or abnormal? Like, I guess, is it something, again, in society that we just acknowledge everyone has PMS symptoms? Mm. And is it something that we can kind of not fix but reduce? Yeah, absolutely. So what I think is normal is Mm. as far as PMS goes or what we would colloquially refer to as PMS, like, I think it's really normal to feel a subtle shift in your, I guess, your energy. So how I explain it to people is often during the first half of your cycle and in the lead up to ovulation, you'll have more get up and go, more motivation, Mm. more drive. Your tolerance for exercise will be higher. Your um, desire to socialize and interact and like be out there having a good time, doing the presentation, et cetera, is going to be there in the lead up to your period in that second half of your cycle in about the one to two weeks before you get your period, it's very normal to feel a sense of uh, needing some more time to yourself, maybe not wanting to socialize as much or having a really high exercise tolerance. Like it's not the time that you'd be hitting personal best in the gym or like running your best time. It's often a time where your body will feel like it wants to go a little bit slower Mm-hmm. And subtle shifts like that are very normal in the way that um, hormones change our, both our mood, our, our recovery, our motivation, etc. The other thing that is quite normal is to have, you know, slight 
fluid retention in the second half of your cycle. So what I mean by that is just if you were to step on a scale for any particular reason, it would be very normal for you to be a little bit heavier on that scale in the week or two before your period because um, the way that estrogen and progesterone change in our cycle does change the way we hold on to fluid, i.e. we hold on to more fluid in the second half of our cycle um, than we do in the first half of our cycle. And that's very normal. And some, some everyone's different in how significantly they feel that. I would say it's normal to feel a subtle um, shift in that. But if you're noticing like, oh my gosh, I feel like a beached whale or I've got like huge tight indentations on where I take my, um, you know, active wear off at the end of the day or I've got sock indentations, that's probably more excessive than what is normal. But I would say there's normal subtle shifts um, but I definitely don't think it's normal to feel like you're crying at the drop of a hat or going into real depressive lows or feeling um, incredibly anxious or having really heightened anxiety or feeling like irritable to the point of like internal rage. Like it's normal mm. to feel maybe like slightly less patient, um, but I don't think it should come as like an overwhelming like desire to just like hit someone <laughs> and I know yes. people will be being like oh yeah like when my boyfriend asked me to I don't know, <laughs> you know what do I want for dinner yeah. and I felt like just yelling at it like yelling at him mm-hmm. I think we all know what that yeah. can feel like and I would say while that is hilarious to create memes about and make jokes about it's also not normal to be happening on a regular basis yeah okay it's all so interesting and I think it's so important that as women we start to understand that we should be working with our bodies not against it because i know for a lot of women that it, you can get quite frustrated when you go through those weeks i guess where your energy is low or you're feeling more emotional all of that and you just want to keep pushing or you want to have those same energy levels that you were having the weeks prior and i guess because we also do live in a world where a lot of things can be male dominant or males have a completely different clock to us in a sense where maybe they can keep working and we kind of have to take that step back to slow down but I think that message is so important to work with our bodies and not against them and so I guess if we flip the other side of that what would you say are some of the consequences of not having a regular cycle yeah well it definitely increases your risk of osteoporosis Mm -hmm. um it also can increase um you know, the risk of some types of cancer if we're not having really regular cycles. Um, and I also definitely think it, it, depending on the reason why you don't have a cycle, like we're talking, I guess, in the context of this, not having a cycle when you should, i.e. it's yes. obviously normal not to have a cycle once you're past menopause or mm-hmm. before you've actually started cycling. But in, in, a, in a case where you should be having a cycle, it really does also increase um, the risk of having different mood disorders, particularly depression, because estrogen um, in particular is really important for having a really healthy, stable mood. So as an example of this, when I didn't have my period um, and I had really low estrogen, I, I had depression. And once I, I changed nothing else but getting my hormones back and once my hormones were back online, that darkness that I was feeling absolutely shifted and it's because estrogen plays such a key role um in in mood so i would say 
Um, osteoporosis would be the key one that often is spoken yeah. about, but yeah, mood is really important as well. And then I think it, it also very much shows up in just, um, you know, feeling like yourself and being able to live out the best version of you. Like as women, we are supposed to have hormones. We are supposed mm -hmm. to go through those changes and it literally affects who we are, who we're attracted to, all these different types of things. So mm. I guess it's hard to define because I think it's it affects us as a whole person, not just physically what, you know, illnesses or imbalances we might be predisposed to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another one that's not spoken about, enough is your sex drive as well yeah, can be absolutely. really impact that and if you're in a relationship like that's going to put a lot of pressure on your actual relationship as well yeah totally I I could not agree more I remember going through high school and not having a period and my friends all being really interested in, in guys and you know really curious about different things and I just remember being like I don't, I don't get it. I don't mm. get it. And then once I had hormones, I was like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. And yeah. I do see this all of the time in clinical practice when women don't have their period and they're in relationships or if they're on the pill and they're in relationships and there is a mismatch between libidos. Of course, sometimes that happens and mm. it's normal, but when it's been artificially created and, um, you know, it's quite, uh, it's quite a marked difference. It's going to have an impact, and it also, you know, makes a lot of women feel like there's something wrong with them, um, yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing to highlight. And I know when I was going through my journey of like getting my period back, experienced a similar sort of thing when my hormones actually were working again and, and everything was working. I was like, okay, this is what I've been missing. But I definitely also went through that mental process of there is something wrong with me like why am I not like other people yeah yeah absolutely and I think knowing there's a reason for it is really yeah. important and to put some context around that for everyone you know our our primary driver as humans and as females is to survive and to reproduce is I guess a luxury and mm -hmm is just speaking to our raw biology and physiology and how it works is that you know if we don't feel like we are in a safe enough place physiologically or physically to bring another human into this world and nourish it then the first thing that will shut down is very much our reproductive side of things and we'll you will funnel all of those resources into producing survival hormones so things like cortisol mm. which is our you know i guess colloquially called our stress hormone and adrenaline so mm. that we can survive so that ultimately the species can survive but mm. we're not going to uh, have excess resources or want to reproduce if the internal environment isn't safe and that can come from not having enough food from artificially shutting down our hormones from over exercising from too much emotional or psychological stress there's lots of different uh, reasons why that might happen or that perception might be sitting in your body mm, yeah love that and so i know we've gone through like I guess, normal versus not so normal PMS symptoms. When it actually comes to your period, what does a normal period look like? And I do those in quotation marks because I don't actually know, is there is there a normal period? Because yeah. when you go online, there's so many different answers. There is, isn't there? And I love this question. I love that you asked it because 
I didn't know what a normal period was for a really long time. And I think that we're taught a lot of different versions of this. So I'm glad we're going to kind of set the record straight here today. So I would say a normal cycle length is between about 25 to 35 days. So cycle length being day one of your period to day one of the next period. Um, And a normal bleed is between two to seven days. Mm -hmm. And then um, as far as blood loss goes, um, anything uh, less than 80 mils of fluid loss across all days of your cycle is normal. Um, Probably less than kind of 20 mils would be considered light. um, But generally speaking, more problems sit on the other end of the spectrum in terms of losing too much blood Mm -hmm. or fluid and to put that into context because I mean we're not all sitting there with a measuring cup (laughs) capturing every bit of blood are we um a normal like a regular tampon and pad holds five mils of fluid and a super tampon or pad holds 10 mils Mm -hmm. if you've got a menstrual cup they they come in various sizes and you can check how much fluid they hold and the way that I tell people to calculate this is you really can only guesstimate if you're using pads or tampons and we don't all know that we're going to pull it out when it's absolutely full to the brim so Mm. it's more just guessing okay I've pulled this tampon out and it looks about half soaked so recording that as you know 2.5 mils for example and you're Mm. capturing it across all days of your cycle Um, so that's what a normal amount of blood loss is your period should also be pain-free And this is something that I think many people are not aware of because at the end of the day, we only know what is normal to us. And sometimes if we've always had painful periods, we think, oh, well, that's just how my periods are and that's normal. And then often what happens if we're trying to check ourselves, we might ask our sister or our mum or our grandmother. And because sometimes conditions that contribute to painful periods are partly genetic, you can end up having a mum or an auntie or a sister that also has had painful periods and that tends to then confirm to you as the individual experiencing it, oh, it must just be normal and just in my family. And while it might be in your family, it's still not normal. So no pain, certainly no pain requiring um, pain medication. It's normal to feel a sensation like you might be aware that you're having your period in terms of you might feel a sensation of heaviness or even a very, very subtle dull ache, but to feel like you have pain is not normal and should be investigated. Um, And also, yeah, PMS free pretty much, like subtle shifts in energy, in mood, um, in motivation, in drive that are not dramatic or do not alter your day-to-day life in big ways or um, feel like they overtake you is normal but if you're feeling any of those um, sensations of like overwhelming sadness helplessness anxiety uh, really sore boobs um, menstrual premenstrual headaches or menstrual headaches uh, if you're getting spotting in the lead up to your period all of that I would consider as not normal and something to actually investigate. I think even just identifying that periods aren't meant to be painful, that is something that I think a lot of people are going to be like, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> because totally. we do, we live in a world where painful periods are like, it's the thing, you know, when you're on your mm. period, it's like, 
oh, like I'm in so much pain. And I think it's just we normalise that a lot, definitely. Mm, yeah, we do. And, you know, it really is something that should be investigated. And I say that myself because I have one of the conditions that causes painful periods, which is endometriosis. And, um, you know, it's there's so much that can be done to help reduce period pain. Sometimes it's simple. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's more complex. Sometimes we can, can get we can get to a place where we have completely pain-free periods and sometimes, um, you know, we can get to a place where they're at least manageable and, um, you know, to put context to this, there are some women who have, um, you know, painful periods, for example, some clients of mine, past clients of mine who have had endometriosis and have also had children explain to me that, their period pain is worse than childbirth and that's a big call and so you know I think I share this for two reasons one is to make people aware that if they do have period pain it's certainly not normal even though it's common and that it is something that you should investigate and also get some help with and two Mm -hmm. to also remind people to remain compassionate. I think sometimes I didn't always have painful periods or endometriosis. And so I remember in my really younger years when I actually didn't have a period at all um, and I had had in the past, like I had had a period and they weren't painful. And I remember a friend complaining once about, oh, no, I can't do PE because I've got period pain. And I remember thinking in my head, which is horrible, but we've all had, <laughs> we've all had <laughs> less than ideal thoughts before, I thought, I think she's just being lazy like period pain isn't that bad and then as my journey continued and I did um, experience painful periods and then have since worked with many women with um, Mm -hmm. a lot of period pain it can be absolutely debilitating and I think it's so important to remain compassionate to people even if your period pain isn't severe like taking someone at their word if they say they have period pain and they need to rest or they can't come out because that's how they feel, A, don't take it personally, and B, believe that person because it can be a really isolating and scary experience when you have period pain that, you know, causes you to need pain medication, to vomit, to have nausea, to have loose stools, to be really scared of the pain that you're experiencing. And it's something that I'm really passionate about bringing awareness to. Yeah. And I guess to experience that so regularly as well, because your periods do come every month, like that's quite often that you're actually experiencing that type of pain. Yeah, absolutely. It it is. It's a, it's something that can have significant effects on, on people's uh, lives, careers, relationships, uh, and it's it's mental health. There's so many layers to it because it's also very silent. It's not like they're walking around with an arm that is chopped off and it's clear that something's wrong. It's a, it's very much a silent suffering and, you know, period pain, as you've said, has been normalized and it gets mm-hmm. dismissed a lot because everyone's experience of period pain is different. And then we project our experience of period pain onto everyone else that what their perception of pain is, is, is the same as the next person, which it's just not. No. And that's so interesting. And I think it's definitely something that you don't really think about until it's spoken about. Mm, Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So when it comes to hormones in particular, how can we tell that we have an imbalance in our hormones? 
Yeah, I think any uh, experiencing any variation to what I shared um, just before around what a normal period or cycle mm-hmm. is, is definitely um, a hint that you may yeah. have some hormonal imbalances. Some other things that can be hints that I haven't already mentioned are getting um, having irregular cycles in terms of variations by more than a few days between each of your cycles so as an example going from a a cycle length of you know 25 days to 40 days to 32 days to um, you know 60 days that is what I would call having really irregular cycles like it's normal for your cycle length to vary by two to three days each cycle because we ovulate at different points um, in our cycle most cycles and that will change the length of it Um, but it's not normal to vary by quite significant amounts and also I would say that if you have um, a a lot of acne or skin breakouts uh, then that's another hint that there may be some hormonal imbalances there and I think I mentioned some of the other ones around yeah pain or Mm -hmm. really heavy periods or premenstrual headaches sore boobs Um, all of those are other indications that something may be off or even low libido. Um, If you're on the pill or you have an IUD in, then it's normal to have low libido because that's literally part of the side effect of the birth control pill. However, if you don't fit into those categories and you've got low libido, then that can be another indication that perhaps your hormones are a little bit out of balance or need some extra love. Mm. And so if somebody's sitting here being like, oh, yeah, I actually do have some of those signs, would your recommendation for them would be to just straight up reach out for help and assistance to identify the imbalance? Yeah, I think that depending on how long it's been going on for and the context in which it's happening, I think there are various things that you can do. I do think if it's... um if it's a subtle change or a subtle symptom and it's new and you also know perhaps that you haven't been looking after yourself as as good as normal, i.e. you haven't been eating well or you've been really inactive or really overactive or you've gone through a really stressful period or you haven't been sleeping well, then I'd say first getting on top of those foundational things is really important. But if the problem persists or it's been going on for several cycles, then I think it is a really good idea to reach out to someone who knows what they're talking about when it comes to hormones and also knows how to test them properly because you um, there's no point just going and testing your hormones willy-nilly at any time in your cycle because we need to actually ideally test them at one um, or two points in our cycle, which is at the beginning of our period, so about day one to three of our cycle, or about five to seven days after we ovulate or five to seven days before we expect to get our period. And unfortunately, even um, conventional doctors don't always get this right. So I think doing some testing and speaking to someone who knows knows what they're talking about in this context is really important. And gathering as much data as you can prior and paying as much attention to your own symptoms and recording them in the lead up to speaking to a practitioner can be really helpful for us because, as I said at the beginning, you always know your body best. And as a practitioner, we're there to help interpret the messages that your body is sending us. Um, And it's really helpful for me if someone comes to me and they know 
how long their cycles have been in the last few months or what period, what symptoms they're experiencing and, um, you know, at what point in their cycle they're happening. So I think it, you know, there's a variation on when to reach out. If you're ever unsure, then I would reach straight out because it's only going to be a benefit. Mm, Yeah, I completely agree with that. And so talking more about birth control and maybe the pill specifically, because I know that was a massive one for me. And when I went off the pill, it was kind of by accident because I had, I was going through surgery and I had done my knee. So I wasn't really in the position. It wasn't on my mind and I'd run out. So I went off it and then my period didn't come back. And at the time I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. I'll just wait till it comes back till I go back on the pill. But it didn't return for eight months. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't then until I, when I was going to the doctors in between and with the whole blood test thing that you were saying, like I got blood test after blood test after blood test done because each time I'd go back, I'm like, oh, we forgot to test this thing. We forgot to test this thing. Um, and so I guess like what is your advice on the pill? And I know a lot of people ask me as well, you know, thoughts on going off the pill and all of that. Obviously for me personally, it's just personal experience, Mm. but coming from somebody who specializes in this area, what is your opinion of birth control on the pill? And maybe like the best options to go for if somebody is wanting to go on birth control. Yeah. So I think what I say to people around the pill and all forms of contraception is that there's no right or wrong. There's just going to be an option where the benefits outweigh the drawbacks for you as an individual at any point in your in your life. And the goal for me as a practitioner, having a conversation with a client around this is to make sure that whatever choice that they are making, they're actually making an informed choice. So I break down contraceptions into hormonal-based contraceptions, which would include the oral contraceptive pill. And within that, There are many different Mm -hmm. um, pills that contain different types of estrogens and progestins, which are artificial progesterone, not the same thing at all. And there's also pills that are progestin only, i.e. they only contain progestin and not progesterone. And, you know, I, I think collectively, as far as the oral contraceptive pill goes, if it was my choice and, and my body, um, the oral contraceptive pill would be probably one of the last things I would choose as a form of contraception. And the reason that is, is because I think it comes with the most amount of drawbacks. I think that if you're in a position to be able to um, continue cycling with your natural own hormones and still access contraception from a different way, then that's always best for your health, generally speaking, because as we spoke about earlier, your hormones are part of a reflection of your health and they have a lot of benefits for you. Now, there are some things, I guess, to be aware of that might be not exceptions to that rule, but considerations where, uh, you know, maybe, you know, someone might choose a different option. So what I mean by that, if, if someone has, for example, Um, endometriosis and they have really heavy and really painful periods and they aren't they aren't able to get that under control naturally um, and they actually do need to turn to something that is um, I guess a little bit stronger then I would say that in that context sometimes for some women the um, hormonal based contraceptives can you know, be a benefit for a period of time. I have to say that I do think that in my experience, the large majority of people can 
get their symptoms under control in order not to need that. But I would say mm-hmm. that where people draw that line is up to them. Um, if that was the case, I'd actually still not choose the oral contraceptive pill as my first choice. I'd, I'd probably go the marina over um, the oral contraceptive pill. And the reason that is, I guess, the drawbacks of the pill, in my opinion, and why I don't think it's the first go-to mm. beyond what I've already mentioned is that, you know, it it does obviously, um, you know, shut down your hormones. So it's going yeah. to affect your mood, your gut health, your thyroid, who you're attracted to in a partner. Mm. Um, it also uh, does carry risks with it in terms of um, it can increase the risk of depression um, it also definitely shuts down your libido and we've already talked about mm-hmm. the ongoing effects of that in terms of relationships and also just how you feel in and of yourself. I also, you know, it also isn't a form of contraception that offers any protection against STIs mm-hmm. or STDs and that's just something for some people to consider. Um, it doesn't allow you to ovulate so you don't get the benefits of progesterone um, and then, you know, it's it's definitely some of the some of the types of pills can increase the risk of certain cancers and also of um, blood clots and that's not all of them and that that's where it does need to be an individual individual choice based on what your medical history is what your family history is if you were to choose to go on the pill but I guess my overarching message to people is that if if health is your priority um then I don't think that the oral contraceptive pill is the first best option, nor do I think that it's the only option for an effective contraceptive. And that's the other problem that I think is around is that we are sold this message that the pill is the only way to prevent pregnancy with any degree of um, reliability and anything else is just not worth it or isn't as effective. And it's just not the case. It's just not true. So as an example, you know, for you as far as, you know, contraceptives go. So I guess the the oral contraceptive pill, that effectiveness with um, perfect use is 99.7%. With typical use, it's actually around 92%. And that you might compare that to something like, um, what else is really common? So something like the copper IUD its effectiveness is 99.4% and it contains no hormones Um, Mm. or something like, uh, you know, a male condom. So with perfect use, it's 98%. With typical use, it's 87%. But I always like to remind people here that typical use, they also include people who say they're using condoms but forget to put them on. And I'm I'm going to assume that our audience is a little bit more um, Mm. (laughs) on top of things than that. And then, you know, another another context to it is that um, the symptothermal fertility awareness method, which is where you track your basal body temperature and yeah. your um, cervical mucus, when you use that perfectly, it's actually 99.4 to 99.6% wow. effective contraceptive. There's no typical use data on it yet because the studies, it hasn't been studied in large enough numbers to create a statistic that has enough strength to it to call it a statistic. But it's just to kind of share with everyone that you are not pigeonholed into the oral contraceptive pill being the only option for you if you don't want to fall pregnant. Um, There are other options that still have really good effectiveness around them. 
Mm. And it'd be so interesting to know if when you went to the doctor to see what the best form of birth control is for you, if they were to give you all of that information that you just gave just then, what people would then actually choose. And because I guess a lot of time when you do go to see a doctor, you have like, what, a five, 10 minute window to talk with them. Mm-hmm. And then they give you whatever solution is necessary for them in that time. So it kind of makes sense that they have to pump out, you know, quick solutions to things. And I know that when I was on the pill, a lot of, a lot of the pills didn't agree with me. So I was kept going back to see what other things or ways that I could go about it. And their response was always just to change what pill I was having. So I tested so many different types of them, but you know, if they were to give out all of these other methods that I could have done, it would have helped so much. Yeah. It's something that I think we should be taught in school. Like I really think we should be taught about our periods and our cycles and what is normal and what is not. We should be talked to about the benefits and the drawbacks of each type of contraception because as I said at the beginning there is there is no right and wrong there's no shame in whatever you choose it's about making an informed choice and the best choice for you at your at each point in your life the other thing and I you know we've kind of spoken a little bit about it before but the other thing I think is a real drawback of the pill is that it literally masks hormonal imbalances and hormonal issues And people are sold just as you were, this idea that just go on it and then Mm -hmm. when you're ready to have children, come off and everything will be fine. And I think that that creates a problem because a hormonal issue or imbalance that may actually contribute to infertility or difficulty falling pregnant that can be resolved is delayed getting resolved. And then that woman has to get to that point where they're like, okay, ready to have a baby I'll just come off the pill and everything will be fine and then I can get pregnant straight away then gets to coming off the pill and either doesn't get their cycle back is having a lot of difficulty and that creates a whole nother stress both physically and mentally and emotionally that could have been worked on um, earlier and not have to be worked on in a very like high anxiety high kind of pressure state where She's already in a position where she's like, but I want to get pregnant now and I'm running out of time and I have to fix this hormonal imbalance that I didn't know was there because it was being masked by the pill. And so I think that's another thing that's really important is that going on the oral contraceptive pill is not a fix. It's just a delay to dealing with the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said that this is something that we should learn in school is so true. Like there definitely is a lack of education around this. And unless you seek it out yourself, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Which is just, you know, I find it really, I find it really sad and really disappointing. And, you know, it it really hits home when I am on client calls and I'm educating women in their 30s, even late 30s, want a normal period and normal cycle is. And there's no, no, zero judgment. I just, because I didn't know for most of my menstruating years, it's just, It really reminds me of, gosh, like so many of us go through most of our life having no idea about our hormones, about our periods. And therefore, not only do we not know what's normal, but we also don't know how to harness the power of them um, and make them work to our advantage in, in realizing that if we do, as we've said earlier, work with our cycles and work with our hormones, we can get more out of ourselves and out of our lives rather than beating ourselves up when we are in a point in our cycle where 
perhaps our motivation or our exercise um you know tolerance is lower we spend all that time beating ourselves up whereas if we were just to go okay this is actually like restore and recharge time so that then I can be extra productive energetic whatever it is in the point in my cycle when I'm supposed to be rather than feeling like gosh there's something wrong with me and everyone Mm -hmm. else has it sorted Mm, yeah and I think as well like when I guess it depends why you do have a missing period but I know for me there was times where I went through that mindset of like oh something's wrong with me it's not working but then there were also times of when I went to the doctor and they were like oh you're fine you know not everyone has this I would take that and I'd be like okay cool like you know I actually don't have to worry about bleeding every month I don't have to spend mm-hmm. money on buying like pads and tampons I don't have you have to worry about all that and I think that type of mindset is incredible it's incredibly unhelpful to start mm-hmm. with but when you have that information feeding that thought it's really easy to just like take it and run with it and be like oh well I'll just sort it out later in life oh totally I felt like that for years I was like this is so good I don't have a period (laughs) and all these other people are like suffering (laughs) like I'm really glad I don't have to go through that and was told a similar thing oh don't worry it's you know it'll come back or nothing to worry about here and I did actually end up having osteoporosis um, at a really young age. And and granted, the context to that was I was also malnourished and going through an eating disorder. But, you know, it's it's something to consider. And, and there's, um, there's such a reason why we have periods, as we've already talked about. And so working towards getting your period back if you don't have one is important. Um, and if you are someone who currently has lots of signs of, imbalanced periods or imbalanced hormones then seeking some help and doing something about it early like sooner rather than later is really helpful because it does take some time to rebalance hormones it's not a quick fix and so doing it before you get to that point where you just are so overwhelmed or so fed up or are feeling a sense of impatience is to your benefit because the reality is that rebalancing takes you know a good few cycles at least to get to where we need to get to mm, yeah I, I love absolutely everything that you said and I think the messaging is just it's so important and I know that it, it will be landing with so many women which is really cool so I do have some quick fire questions for you exciting I'm ready all right first one is what is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up I have to move my body and it doesn't matter what it looks like, but I just have to move my body out in fresh air without a phone. Love that. Simple, but efficient. Yeah. What is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life? Okay. I have like a billion things that I could (laughs) say here, but the one I'm going to say is probably a little bit unexpected, but it's actually to learn to process your own emotions. So I think that your emotional well-being and your ability to fully feel your emotions and express them in a healthy way so they don't build up and manifest as physical illnesses or ailments or diseases is super important. I think that food, nutrition, lifestyle, sleep, having balanced hormones is all really important, but it only gets you so far. And I think a lot of us ignore the emotional well-being side of things. And I see it be a big game changer when people embrace that side. Mm, haven't heard that one before, but that is so incredible because you're right. It's so easy for us to brush a lot of our emotions under the rug and just keep moving through life. But you're right. If you can regulate those, it's a game changer. Mm, yep. 
I, I, yeah, I really think it is because I've worked with a lot of women with, you know, big health issues and across all different areas, gut, thyroid, hormones, and sometimes we get 80% of the way by looking after all those other things. And it's really that emotional um, health, emotional well-being, dealing with past traumas or current unhealthy patterns and beliefs that gets them to the place where they really want to get. And it makes all that other stuff so much easier to, to manage as well. Yeah, absolutely. What is your favorite quote and why? I really struggle to answer this question when anyone <laughs> asks me because I don't know that I have one favorite quote. I have many. And I was thinking about this um, a little bit earlier today and I was like, what What would I say my favorite quote is? And I actually mm. walked past a painting that my mum um, did for me when I was younger that had a picture of my favorite childhood dog on it and the quote on it was um, live and love well and learn to let go and I loved I love that quote and I guess it's up there with one of my favorites because the message that I take from that is really about being compassionate being present being grateful in your life and then surrendering to what you can't control because I think so much suffering comes from worrying about things that we just can't change or that haven't even happened yet and I think if we can remain present and grateful and compassionate and believing the best in people it makes the journey a lot easier Mm, that is such a powerful quote and I 100% agree and it's just even little things in your day as well like it doesn't even have to be the large things yeah exactly I think it's you know, life is made up of all these little moments. And Mm. um, I think if you can remain present and grateful, it makes, yeah, just makes life easier. Yeah. One question that I love to ask all of my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you are looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or something that you will be most proud of? And now this could be something that you've already done, or it could also be something that you're hoping to do in the future. That's a really, I love this question as well. And I don't necessarily think it's one big thing that I've done Mm -hmm. or will do for me. I think what I will be most proud of, and I'm already pretty proud of, is just being a person that offers compassion and um, validation and a space for people to share things that they otherwise wouldn't or feel too ashamed to share and to bring light to the shadow parts of of things that people go through and to leave people feeling better than when they arrived I think it's again it's probably another quote that's somewhere in there but I think that you know there's there's so much power in being a good listener in being someone who is compassionate and that can create a safe space for someone in the little moments where we need that and I think that sometimes that's the most meaningful and powerful thing that we can do. And the beautiful thing about that is that it doesn't have to be tied to a career, a job, a a particular person, a situation. I think that that's actually something that we can practice and that I certainly do my best at. I'm not perfect um, to do a lot. And I think there is a quote around it. It's something like people don't remember you know, what you say, or it's something like people remember how you make them feel. And I guess Mm -hmm. I'm always reminded of that. And um, 
I think it's something that I do relatively well. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, and I guess no matter what somebody's going through, sometimes it can feel quite isolating and you can feel quite alone. So if you can hold space for somebody to come into it, it's incredible. And I think that's amazing what you are doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think I think being a good listener and, and listening just to listen and not jumping to try and fix someone's problem or take their pain away is really powerful because a lot of the time you know, out of good intention, we try to give people advice, we try to fix something, we try to, you know, you know, oh, don't cry. And Mm. it's just often that's more about our own discomfort in sitting in someone else's pain. And rather than, you know, doing the thing that we often need in those really dark moments in life, which is just to have someone listen and to say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And to just be with you. And I think we all know that for ourselves. And it's something that I constantly remind myself when someone in my life or a client is going through something really difficult is the power and the healing that is just in listening and not making it about you, but actually thinking, what does this person need right now? Mm, Yeah, I love that so much. So tell the audience if you have anything coming up that you're wanting to share with them and where can they find you? Oh, I have so many things (laughs) at the moment. So they, maybe I'll start with where you can find me. So my, my Instagram handle is natalie.k.douglas and most of my stuff is over there. If you ever can't find anything and my website is nataliekdouglas.com. So I have a number of packages and programs that include one-to-one support that are around thyroid, gut, hormone health, and fertility. I also have just released a mini course, um, which is a guide to coming off the oral contraceptive pill. Mm -hmm. So you can find that on my website. There's also another mini course on how to test your thyroid properly, which is also available on my website. Um, I run a podcast called the Holistic Health Podcast with my beautiful colleague, Amy Skilton. And you can find that on all the places you'd find podcasts. And the final really exciting thing that is very fresh is that um, Amy and I have uh, just launching uh, a membership, basically. It's called the Holistic Health Collective, and it's just Mm going to be a space and place that people can come and hang out. We're going to do monthly live Q&As. We're going to do monthly um, seven-day health challenges, and it's a space where people can come and ask questions that they'd otherwise spend hours Googling or jumping around Instagram trying to find the right thing and also a place where you can connect with like-minded health enthusiasts that perhaps you're not in a place where you're sick enough to pay for a consultation with someone but you really just would like to continue to be around people who can give you support and advice and encouragement um, and to connect really. So they're all the things that I have going on at the moment and I love connecting with people. So if anyone ever has any questions for me, you can also always flick me an Instagram direct message. That sounds awesome. How many options for people to jump in on? That's so cool. And all of the links will be in the show notes anyway for easy access for absolutely everybody. But amazing, like a place for absolutely everybody to start and to go to. And, yeah, I think everything that you have shared with us today has been incredible so thank you so much for coming on and sharing that oh thank you so much for having me wow 
That was an awesome episode. I know that so much of what Natalie spoke about really landed with me and I hope it did with you too because I think it's something that we don't talk about enough as women and it should be a topic of conversation that we do talk about more. Our monthly cycles, ensuring that we have balanced hormones, all of that. It's just, it's such a large part of our lives and I definitely think it's a conversation that we should talk about more and we should be more open to talk about as well. So I hope that you walked away learning something from today or even if just something landed with you that's amazing but I would love to hear from you so if you have any questions or you have any feedback about today's episode just head over to my Instagram which is KJ Wellness with three s's and shoot me through a, D- through a DM because I absolutely love to connect with you all but don't forget to like and subscribe to the Naked Wellness podcast and if you are on Apple podcasts please leave me a review but I will talk to you in the next episode very soon take care bye